check, check, check. Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. This is CBH Live here on YouTube. Thanks everybody for joining here live. We are going to get into some comics. we got two weeks worth of comics to cover here today. Again, those of you who are here live, thanks for joining. Get in your questions, your thoughts, your comments here in the live chat. I will attempt to address as many of them as I am able. Super Chat is open and available. If you want to support CBH, you can, of course, also do so over on Patreon.com slash Comic Book Herald, or as always, sign up for the Comic Book Herald newsletter. It's probably the place I'm doing the most writing these days. Today, I wrote about the truth about truth. Truth, Red, White, and Black, Marvel graphic novel, got a lot of attention after Isaiah Bradley's debut. That's where that character comes from in Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm writing about today, why haven't we seen those characters? Why haven't we seen Isaiah Bradley and the Bradley family? Eli Bradley, Patriot, founding Young Avenger. Josiah X, where have they been? That's the mystery I'm trying to unravel in the CBH newsletter. Going to be keeping on that. We can talk about here today if folks have questions. But otherwise, we are primarily going to talk about new comics that came out today. We're going to talk about new comics that came out last week. And we're going to talk about the free Comic Book Day X-Men special, which is a kickoff to the fall of X. Let's start there, actually. That came out this past Saturday. Hopefully all you had a chance to get out to a local comic book shop if you are able and have one near you. Get some free comics for yourself, including a very solid beginning to the Fall of X in Free Comic Book Day, written by Jerry Duggan. He had art there by Josh Kassara. It was a solid, solid setup for Fall of X. No surprises, no alarms and no surprises in classic Radiohead fashion, right? But it was... An expected surprise, or not an expected surprise. It was an expected setup, and it was also setting up a little mystery, a potentially mildly intriguing mystery. Um, I mean, I called it quite some time ago that the build to Fall of X and that Fall of X would be predicated based on someone in the guise of Captain Krakoa doing something terrible and mutant kind getting the blame for that. That is pretty clearly something that uh, uh, Orcus is orchestrating, if you will. That happens in the pages of the free comic book day special. Oh, BT dubs, uh, spoilers for the comic we talked about today. They will be a following. They will be a common. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we knew that was going to happen. It happens there. I won't, won't speak to the specifics of it. I guess the one mystery that came out of the FCBD special setting up the fall of X was who, who is breaking in to the X-Men tower, kicking Cyclops butt with the skill to then masquerade as as the Captain Krakoa and and commit these heinous acts in the name of mutant kind. Um, I think the obvious favorite here for a lot, I mean, there's kind of two primary favorite or two primary candidates to my mind that, that popped in right away, one of which feels like a certainty and the other feels like a long shot. The long shot felt like um, maybe uh, James Hudson, Vindicator, former member of World's Worst Team Alpha Flight. Uh, we saw him having conversations with Orcus way back when. Might be somebody who's fallen under their thrall. Feels like a long way to fall for James. But then again, when you're already a part of Alpha Flight, how much further can you fall, really? Right? There's not a lot lower to go. Uh, but I think the favorite, the heavy favorite, who's doing that would definitely be John Walker, the once and former World's Worst Captain America, 
um, aka U.S. Agent, primarily goes by in the U.S. Avenger or the West Coast Avengers and and '90s Cap Comics days. Uh, that feels like a pretty easy sell. The idea that John Walker would align themselves with Orcus. Um, I'm a little less. I'm a little less a hundred percent on John Walker not only aligning with Orcus, but being willing to blow themselves up in the nation's capital. That that definitely gives me pause. Um, unless they had some assurances of resurrections and these sorts of things. But uh, you know, that feels like our guy. That feels like our guy. If you have thoughts, get them in here. I'm seeing Chris says. The real long shot is long shot. That's a great pun and a fun guess. <laughs> if it was long, where is long shot these days? When's the last time we saw long shot in Marvel Comics? Truly, I have no idea. I don't think, is long shot actually a mutant or is he just like mutant adjacent? These are the questions that we need answers to here today. Let's see, Banksy says Alpha Flight stays taking shots and they will be. Oh, man, just wait. Just wait until that Fall of X Alpha Flight series starts. Y'all think I'm getting started. I have not even gotten started on the depths of disdain for Alpha Flight. Open Mike Eagle threatening to buy me an Alpha Flight shirt. I don't, I don't take kindly to threats, but this one I appreciate <laughs> nonetheless. There is, there is definitely a, an inherent comedy to the idea of me wearing anything that says alpha in big letters on it. <laughs> Just, I feel like one look from my wife and I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I won't wear the shirt again. <laughs> I think we're good here. Uh, let's see. Brayden comes in hot with a super chat. Thanks so much for your support here. Asking, hey, Dave, crazy idea. What if with science and magic, the Doombot from Sins of Sinister acted as Doom's own Moira and Doom knows about Sins of Sinister. What? Okay, I love it. I genuinely love it. Um, so that the what what the idea is here is in Sins of Sinister, the way that event ended, there are what three people who come back with any knowledge of what happened in that timeline. We have Sinister himself who gets a little bit of that knowledge via Moira, evil robot Moira. We have Rasputin the fourth, also via evil robot Moira. And then we have Mother Righteous, who magically transported. But as Braiding calls out here, there was a Doombot surviving at the end of time with evil robot Moira. What were they doing in a cave for thousands of years? One, one asks. Um, could that Doombot have transported the knowledge of Sins of Sinister back to Dr. Doom? Okay, I don't think that's going to come up. I don't think that will be relevant. <laughs> but I like that you're thinking about it. I do. Truly appreciate it. King Kia asks, is Nuke still around? Could that be him? Nuke is a good guess. An even, an even better candidate than John Walker, I would say in terms of the don't give an F-ness of that, right? Because John Walker does have beliefs, and we have seen heroism 
and moments. They're just things that have happened if you've read that classic Mark Grunewald Captain America run that introduces the character, right? There are some pretty traumatic things that really break who that character is. Um, but even so, we've definitely seen him bouncing around generally heroic teams, a la the West Coast Avengers, whereas Nuke, um, the, the visage that former presidents recently accused of sexual assault or accused, convicted? I don't know how this works. Uh, his, his thing is like a nuke picture. Why, why would you choose nuke? Anyway, not a character you want to emulate. <laughs> okay? Like the epitome of broken American dreams. Nuke from Frank Miller, David Maz Kelly, Daredevil Born Again. That would make a ton of sense. It would make a, a billion percent of sense. Great suggestion. Good idea. Let's see. Uh, Demarius Boudry says, Longshot was last seen in X-Factor trapped in the Mojoverse. Okay. So he was there with all the Shatterstar reality TV stuff. Um, yeah, get him back. Bring him back. Come on. Let's, let's do something with Longshot again. Mojoverse is getting, uh, getting another opportunity here in the pages of X-Men Unlimited, <clears throat> which is actually a really fun series. Um, I, I continue to stay on X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics. Uh, but the Mojoverse stuff has been solid. Definitely some good commentary going on there. Uh, feels like a long shot opportunity. Feels like a long shot op. All right. Let's see. We got questions pouring in. That's great. Let's keep talking about comics. Uh, was there anything else from Free Comic Book Day that we feel like we need to address? There were a couple Hickman teasers for Gods and for Ultimate Invasion. Uh, both of them were pages that we had seen before. Uh, I think in the case of Ultimate Invasion, there was not previously dialogue attached. In the case of Gods, I think we had seen literally all of that uh, in the, the little teaser that Marvel released on YouTube that always makes their comics look super weird. Um, I didn't really get anything new out of either of those. Uh, nothing surprising, just weird little teasers <laughs> for books that I hope are good. I mean, otherwise, you know, my, my big take from Pre-Comic Day was... Uh, it was very fun taking my kids and having them actually be mildly interested in getting comics. Um, ice cream after a free comic book day, highly recommended approach to spending a Saturday. And the the build to Fall of X was solid. Oh, you know, the other thing, actually, that I thought was clear from the Fall of X teaser is, okay, listen, I've been talking about how Fall of X X-Men is led by Jerry Duggan, right? The ball is in his hands. Sins of Sinister was a Gillen, Ewing, Spurrier special. Fall of X is Duggan's. And it's not just that, like, well, he's writing X-Men and this is the event where, you know, he, he's written the Hellfire Gal issues and, and is really going to be owning some of the core things here. It's also pulling from every creator at Marvel that gets enough at bats. They kind of build their own verses, Okay, they kind of build their own universes and then they typically pull from things that they have created, right? They have their own sort of creator internal sense of continuity. Um, this is very common throughout the history of Marvel, but it's increasingly noticeable, I think, um, it really since Marvel now. Or maybe that's just because I paid the most attention then to comics in general. But Duggan has this with Fall of X, because we have the Uncanny Avengers are coming back. Duggan wrote Uncanny Avengers. There's history between characters and relationships, a la Rogue and Captain America, a la Deadpool and Rogue, 
a la Deadpool and a daughter and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that we see at the very end of the Fall of X Mini. All of this is to say the internal continuity of the Duggan-verse is coming back hot and heavy. It's going to be maybe surprisingly relevant because we're talking about comics that came out, you know, maybe in 2014, right? Uncanny Avengers was probably, what, 2016 to 2017? You know, so in, it's all pre-House, pre-Powers, non-X-Men stuff. But that stuff's going to be getting resurfaced. And again, this is a thing where if you're Al Ewing and you're one of the best, you've been writing the best Marvel comic for five straight years, I, I am very flexible with whatever weird internal continuity you want to pull. We saw it today in X-Men Red with Al writing a storm who talks about red triangle protocols. That is something that Ewing, I don't know if he introduces it here, but it's it's the first time I remember hearing about it with, with Bobby, with Sunspot, talking about red triangle protocols protecting psychic attacks and being mentored by Professor X to use those. That kind of internal continuity from the literal master of, of the Marvel form right now, is very fun. I like that stuff a lot. Is Duggan going to be able to pull that off in the same way? Right? That's, that's a harder sell, you know? Um, so, but, it, but the big take, you know, and I won't, I won't go ahead and get into that. We'll get into that as it comes during the fall of X. But right now, the key, I think, is to say is, like, there's going to be stuff from old Deadpool. Marvel now Deadpool. There's going to be stuff from his Uncanny Avengers. If you want to be fully in the know, check some of those runs out. I would actually most... Folks who like Deadpool comics, and I cannot count myself among them, honestly, at the end of the day, there are some... There are Deadpool things that I like, and generally I like the character. But all right, here's, here's a hot one for you. The Deadpool Xbox 360 video game is better than any Deadpool comic I've ever read, <laughs> story-wise, <laughs> okay? Um, Deadpool comics are generally a letdown. The Duggan, Posehn, who's the artist on that? Is it Scott Koblish? Um, the Marvel Now run is, is very well-liked by a lot of folks. So that one, I think it's a... And I was collecting it for a bit. You know, I, I don't have negative things to say about it so much as just maybe not being to my tastes. Um, that is, that's worth checking out. The Uncanny Avengers Duggan, uh, Duggan stuff is uh, with Pepe Larraz for a stretch. And it's very readable. Is it essential you have to go back to it? No. But, like, you can do a lot worse. So, there's decent stuff to go back to. There are just no masterworks. And that's the thing I talk about when I'm talking about it. You know what it reminds me a lot of is NBA playoffs, Celtics 76ers right now, tight series, Celtics down two, last second shot. Who's getting the ball? It's Marcus Smart. Every time. <laughs> Marcus Smart. They got two all NBA guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Who's getting the shot? Marcus Smart. Every time. Okay? And that's my fear. That's my fall of X fear. It's like we have the all-stars on the roster here. But we're putting the ball in the hands of a very good role player. All right? 
And I think that, I don't think that's like, that shouldn't be offensive. <laughs> Being like, you are literally one of the best in the world at what you do. <clears throat> right? Like, if you're writing good comics for Marvel, you are at the top of the, of the chain, of the pyramid. You know? If you're scoring 20 points in an NBA playoff game, you're at the top of the pyramid. You're just not the tip. Right? Sometimes you need the tip. Let that linger for a moment. Okay. Let's see, let's see. What do we got here in the comments? Open Mike Eagle says, I feel like Duggan is being underrated in this era. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, I feel like I have him very properly rated. Was writing the best on of X book for a minute. Mirage was very good, and it fell off very hard. Uh, the first Hellfire Gala with Pepe Larraz. Excellent stuff. That's, pr that's probably the closest that I've ever gotten to the sense of like, oh, he can be the guy leading this team. But you, that's also a thing where it's like, was that him or was that Pepe LaRosse? You know? Um, and X-Men has, has been, I think, often a letdown if you're viewing it as the flagship book. But if you're not and you have the healthy perspective of, well, the flagship books are Immortal and X-Men Red, is this solid enough on the edges of things? Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, it's, it's not like a... Anyway. Enough creator focus. Who are these guys getting all this attention? Come on. Uh, all right. We also had last week Immortal X-Men number 11. Was not my favorite issue of Immortal X-Men. <clears throat> was probably one of my least favorites, if I'm being honest. Um, there were some big things that happened. There were some big things that happened. And you know what? Actually, I'm sitting here from Adrian. I'm optimistic with Fall of X. I am tentatively optimistic as well despite having said all that. I, again, it was a solid setup in Free Comic Book Day. I think a Fall of X, Dark Reign take on Krakoa just going completely wrong, everything hitting the fan at once, I actually think that's going to lead to some really interesting stories. I think that's going to push creators to do really interesting stuff that we did not expect. And again, I think it's all going to come back to something interesting where you know it's not going to be the end of the Krakoa era, but it's going to force everybody outside of maybe some of the more comfortable elements of, of just kind of sitting, you know, on this island and being like, well, we don't really have to push the edges anymore, right? It's, I think it's going to push everybody in directions that are good. So I'm, I'm tentatively optimistic. I'm hopeful um, that, that there's good stuff to come here. I'm, I'm definitely, like, once we hit the Hellfire Gala, I'm very excited to see what's coming. I mean, truly. Like, you know, and I feel like, and then I'm calling this, before, you know, the road to Fall of X, right? We're definitely in a waiting period. We're in a post-Sins of Sinister, pre-Fall of X moment here where the biggest stuff is to come, you know? Um, and it really shows you, okay, who are the creators? What are the titles right now that are just, like, great hangs that are able to build and do seemingly important things without yet being at the officially named event or whatever, right? Um, so 
I, I, yes, I am tentatively excited as well. Um, yeah, we're talking about Immortal X-Men. Gillen immediately answered the, the concern that I had talking with Ernie from Blurred Without Fear about, um, Sins of Sinister Dominion, which was, it seemed like they threw the sinisterized versions of the Quiet Council in the pit, like, too quick. Like, they didn't run any tests. Just immediately threw them in the pit. Everyone seemed weirdly cool with that. We do get kind of a counter to that pretty, but immediately, really, with Forge researching the sinister schemes. And, and kind of having the, you know, the general vibe here of like, okay, listen, we can, <clears throat> we can confirm that we can't find sinister things any longer, but he tricked us once. Could it, there could be a secret there still? And Professor X actually, it, it, it's beat up Professor X season. If you're out here repping for the prof, um, you're alone. And uh, I applaud you for your courage to stand up for this man. <laughs> because nobody's doing it right now. It is definitely beat up the prof season. Um, but he actually makes a good point here, which is like, all right, well, you can never prove a negative that like <laughs> you can never prove that we're definitely not hiding some sinister thing. Although he actually brings up here in X-Men Red. And I, I, I kind of hope this doesn't come up again in any substantial measure, but it's an interesting thing to bring up. He brings up an X-Men Red in a conversation with Storm, uh, really a butt whooping with Storm, um, where he says, you know, I'm really worried that I actually could, that this whole Krakoa experiment could be infested with Sinister because we made the deal with that devil when we started this puppy back in House and Powers and Moira told us not to and we did it anyway and our entire genetic database is based on Sinister stuff. Who's to say he didn't put latent codes in that genetic database, right? That, that elef or that like bombshell that potential secret switch is kind of always in play. And that should keep Professor X up at night. You know, that's a problem. Um, but anyway, he does make a valid point that is like, well, we can never prove that. Nonetheless, uh, the, the council, or maybe just Storm, I don't know, Storm has a lot of agencies here, basically resolves to like, okay, fine, we're not going to throw you back in the pit. Um, and everyone who's infected here is what? Professor X, Emma, uh, Hope... And who's the other one? Exodus. And uh, they're like, we're not going to throw you back in the pit, but you cannot vote in the Quiet Council anymore. Okay. And then at the end of this, Storm is kind of dealing with the fact that she is clearly focused on Rocco and not necessarily devoting full attention to Krakoa. Emma gets her attention by, you know, sniping at her that, you know, we were all infected by sinister versions. And in the sins of sinister timeline, you didn't notice for five years because your attentions were so diverted, which is not like, it's not Storm's fault. <laughs> right. But, uh, but maybe that's something that got her attention. Um, and at the end of this, she decides, well, I better give my vote to somebody else. So she entrusts her vote to her most trusted ally on the quiet council. Of course, Colossus. Now Colossus has been very quiet and very dark and very lurky for ages now. And of course, we know from the pages of the never-ending X-Force that he is, in fact, a Russian puppet. Uh, so Storm has entrusted her vote to one of the... I, I, I still don't know that I'd say he's the least trustworthy person on the council because Sebastian Shaw is right there. Um, <laughs> but we know Colossus can't be trusted. And then a big thing that happens at the end of Sons of X which is the other issue from last week. So this is Before the Fall, Sons of X. This one's written by Cy Spurrier. Um, Kurt gets demonstered throughout all this. He gives his vote. He gives his vote 
to Aurora. He gives it to Storm. So by proxy, does that one also go to Colossus? So Colossus just got three votes? Because he got Storms and Nightcrawlers? And you already have four people who can't vote on the council? So we have a council of what, eight? And Colossus has three of the deciding votes? <laughs> what, what is this government? <laughs> like, listen, uh, I live in America. We have a real messed up government. The Quiet Council is way worse. <laughs> Who designed this? It's rot with flaws. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty bad. Um, clearly, clearly setting the stage for the fall of X. All of this. I suspect. Uh, again, Sons of X, um... What, what happened here that was interesting? I mean, there there were some interesting things. I actually really like some visuals in this. Like, there were some visuals of Mother Righteous pulling in pages from previous comics. That was a cool artistic trick. Um, Mother Righteous, this sinister version, magic sinister, uh, she's collecting everyone's gratitude and clearly kind of weaponizing that somehow. Like, if you say thanks to her, you're now indebted to her. It's a very kind of old school fairy magic type thing. Um, there's a lot of big stuff actually that happened in Sons of X and it's pretty chaotic. I mean, the big thing for me was like, is this just an issue of Legion of X? Like, is this just the next issue of Legion of X? And I mean, it is, you know, and like as someone who was pretty disappointed with how chaotic Legion of X was, you know, that, that's a little bit of a bummer. Um, cause I like seeing Spurrier, reined in and a bit more focused in the Sins of Sinister era. Uh, okay, let, let's focus in. What are the big things that happen here? Uh, Orcus is sending out a demonized Nightcrawler, demonized literally and figuratively, uh, on political hit missions, making Krakoa look bad. I feel like this got massively overlooked. Like, there, you, you, I don't know if you remember, but X-Men 2, X-Men United, a perfect movie that I'll never watch again. Um, they the open with Nightcrawler brainwashed, but we don't know at the time, you know, teleporting, bamfing through the White House about to kill a president or something like that to make mutants look bad. Orcus is doing that, but, like, successfully. Like, Nightcrawler's killing people. And it's, like, the C-plot <laughs> of this comic, if that. That's, that's a big deal. Like, and there's some, there's a lot of allusions here to Oh, PR is pretty bad for Krakoa right now. Yeah, you think? You think? One of the members of their 12-person ruling body is straight up assassinating <laughs> groups of politicians in broad daylight? Chaos. Like, of course it looks bad for Krakoa. It is bad. And Cyclops is like, oh, well, you're brain... It's like, I feel like we should have to reconcile this. If this was Wolverine, we'd be spending three years dealing with the ramifications of this. <laughs> with Nightcrawler, he's like, well, all right, I'm going to leave, uh, leave Krakoa now. That was weird. I guess I'll go be Spider-Man for a while, apparently, in the pages of Uncanny Spider-Man. I don't know. That all felt off to me. Too hot, too fast, too furious. Mother Righteous uh, also quite easily holds Nimrod at bay in this comic. Apparently she can do that. Listen, I like House of X and Powers of X a lot. We've set up Nimrod as the force to be reckoned with. Not the brains, not necessarily the biggest threat, but the force to be reckoned with. 
So it's weird when we have teams just kind of pop into Orca's base and deal with him no problem. You know? And, like, I'm all for Mother Righteous having these weird magic powers that can do things that are unexpected. Um, but when she just handles Nimrod like it's nothing, I don't know. That's a weird, that's a weird decision. It kind of devalues one of your biggest threats. Uh, at the very end of this, Legion disappears. He's off the board now. And I already mentioned the voting situation. So that was all the big stuff in Sons of X. Uh, maybe you can tell from my tone, but I mean, there's a reason I didn't stream last week. <clears throat> I was not incredibly excited about any of these comics. I think I think some fairly important things happen continuity-wise. I don't think they were particularly good reads. I like the free comic they set up more. You know, the other, actually, like, the biggest thing that happened, weirdly, was, or not really, but it felt that way, was in Scarlet Witch number five. So ex-office writer Steve Orlando with Russell Dowderman and Matt Wilson. Welcome back. Back from the, the Jason Aaron Thor days. Um, ending with a final page, teasing the return of Magneto. Yeah, Magneto wearing a black helmet, sitting in a chair, crotch out. Crotch out on display for all to see. Okay. I don't know that anyone is buying this, but in case people are, sitting there and being like, oh, Magneto's back in the pages of Scarlet Witch. I guarantee you that's not Magneto. Um, I would be willing to bet most of my kids that it's Joseph, a.k.a. the 90s Magneto clone. And here are, here are the reasons why. Two reasons. One, Magneto died very dramatically <laughs> in the pages of X-Men Red and Judgment Day. They are not going to bring him back in a Scarlet Witch annual outside of the X office. Reason two, this is a Steve Orlando written comic, and you find me the 90s reference or character that they're not focusing on in their work, and I'll, I'll call you a fibber. I'll call you a fibber right to your face, and I'll say it's just because they haven't had time yet. Steve's got a 90s fetish. <laughs> Okay, there's a 90s character they're coming into his comics. That is for sure, Joseph. Guarantee it. It's a lock. Lock it up. All right, that was all the comics last week. Getting your thoughts, getting your questions. I'm going to take a big swig from our sponsor today. Our sponsor is Water. Thanks to Water for sponsoring Comic Book Herald Live. You can also support the show over at patreon.com slash comicbookherald if you are so inclined. Oh, that's good. I got the tap water flavor today. I didn't have time to go upstairs and get the filtered stuff. I was running a little late with uh, basketball practice today. But uh, I got the, got the tap flavor today, and I got to tell you, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. You can check out more at uh, water.tap and use promo code CBH to get a sip of that. All right. What came out this week? We had one great comic. We had one shockingly fun comic we had an issue of invincible iron man with Stiltman. that's a win and we have amazing spider-man continuing to tell me it does not have the juice uh where do we begin where do we begin let's begin with a great comic x-men red number 11 listen i've said it before i'll say it again we are so lucky al ewing is in the x office like we are absurdly lucky that Al Ewing wakes up every morning 
and says, I'm going to write the best storm of all time. <laughs> Consider ourselves blessed. Like, holy cow, this book is good. This is, the, it's not just the best X-Men book. I think it's the best Marvel comic, period, straight up. Al Ewing is doing a masterwork on X-Men. Red right now is the first book to come out of the Sins of Sinister and just be like, yep, and right where we left off. Just going to continue being great. His Storm is so good. Seeing Storm stand up here to Professor X, throwing one of his patented Professor X tantrums, Storm shutting him down, slapping him back with the own psychic defenses that he taught her, using the history of these characters, both visually and verbally. Just insanely good comics. Insane how good X-Men Red is. I just sit there after with my mouth open, trying to articulate any thoughts about it. And all I wrote down was X-Men fans are so lucky. <laughs> that's all I could, that's all I could put into words. Like this book is the best book by miles. And I might change my tune the next time Immortal X-Men comes out. And it's also really great, but like, holy cow, imagine the destiny of X. Imagine entering the fall of X with no Ewing X-Men read. Be dire. Be dire straits. Be Sultan's a swing. It would not be good. It would not be good, but this comic, fortunately, is very good. It is, in fact, excellent. Also teases here at the very end what we know to be coming from solicits and previews and such, but the actual appearance. Genesis is coming. Apparently the White Sword has been defeated. Who knows what's been happening on Amenth? Why are they fighting each other again? I don't know. I don't know what the logistics are. I'm excited to find out. Genesis and the Apocalypse family, they're coming back. They are coming back. Oh, so good. So good. I'm seeing Xavier here disagree. All right, all right. Why are you disagreeing? Uh, you don't side slap the best telepath on the planet. What do you think? What do people think? I mean, there is some danger here in the sense of everyone wants to see Professor X side slap so bad, it's very easy to throw out whether or not that makes sense. Um, I do actually buy that his own training and his Red Triangle protocols were good enough to protect his team. He's so emotional and so flustered and so angry at Storm when he's lashing out that he's not in full control of his faculties. He's not calculating peak of his performance. Psychic Xavier there, you know, he's lashing out in a fit of rage and Storm has built up enough skill to defend that at this point. I think, yes, if you pit a focused judgment day going to war Xavier against Storm's mind, he should be able to find a way in, you know? But I think the, uh, the actual circumstances of the relationship and the emotions in play, I think they matter. You know, I think that context comes into play here. And again, it is a thing where narratively I am fully willing to buy it because, like, that is, that is the outcome I want, right? And frankly, all this stuff is made up, so, you know, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> you know? But you don't want to have defined rules of, of believability. Um, Hashim says Xavier has been nerfed for a while, I kind of don't agree because in Judgment Day, he's fighting psychic wars with the Eternals 
like, on a massive scale. Like, he clearly is powerful. Clearly very powerful. Um, he's also backing up all of Mutant Kind with Cerebro. I guess I, w- I would disagree with the sense that his power set has been diminished. Um, I think his respectability and the idea that he is a leader who can be trusted is completely in the toilet, right? That stuff's gone. But I think his power is kind of where it's always been, you know? Um, it is incredibly useful when it is useful, uh, but sometimes it's not, a la Fight Against Nimrod. Let's see. What else do we got? James says, free Red Root. I guess that could be coming. <laughs> so I don't even remember what that's in regards to. I guess if the Apocalypse family comes back, and they're like, where's Red Root? And they're like, all right, let's go visit Otherworld. I mean, I don't, that feels like such an afterthought <laughs> at this point. Although, if anyone's going to bring that up, it's going to be Ewing. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, what else do we got? Okay. Yeah, so X-Men Red rules. No arguments there. Um, Wolverine number 33. You know what I like the most about this comic? Absurd supervillain beast with clones of himself talking to each other and all of them calling each other beast. There's no beast one, no beast two, no nicknames. Just, hey beast. Oh, how's it going, beast? It's very fun. <laughs> like, it is delightful. Uh, fully owning the Mr. Sinisterness of all of this. This is like the most I've enjoyed Beast since I was a child watching the animated series. This absurd supervillain Beast is awesome. <laughs> like letting the character just own it and be goofy and be fully Machiavellian and just an absolute menace. It works. And it's it's actually a little better than Dark Beast, who has a similar vibe in Age of Apocalypse. But there's like, you know, Dark Beast is always kind of subservient to someone. And by definition, you know, uh, not the primary. The fact that there's Prime Beast lording above all this, thinking he's in the right, still being the beast that we know and owning all that continuity with a flipping cabal of clone beasts and cloned wolverines as his weapons of X. It's really fun. I think this comic is still just the absolute, like, definition of problematic decompression. You know? I've seen folks cheer on the, what I've seen referenced as novelistic ambitions of these comics. And in theory, I can get behind that approach to a point. Um... But I think it's not like novels can't put you to sleep, too. (laughs) There's good and bad within that approach. Uh, But nonetheless, here we are. It's issue 33. And the B stuff is really fun. It's really, really fun. Yeah, I'm seeing Banksy mention poor nearsighted beasts. The detail that Hank McCoy clones himself a billion times but still makes the clones nearsighted so they have to wear glasses but fixed his own vision... That's a great detail. That's really smart stuff from Percy. Very good. Very good. I, I hope this continues. Um, 
frankly, through the fall of X because absurd supervillain beast is kind of what we need. It's what we need. Uh, Kenji points out novels also end. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Thank you. Good point. If you like uh, Flashback Emma Frost, check out Invincible Iron Man number six. If you like Stiltman, check out Invincible Iron Man number six. And if you like the idea of Tony Stark being recruited by the government to help prevent the threat of Magneto and mutants, check out Invincible Iron Man number six. Um, Duggan is often at his best doing flashback stuff. I have been pretty engaged with Invincible Iron Man so far. I think a lot of it has kind of been there, done that, certainly. Um, But again, solid soup stuff. What I did not think was solid soup stuff was Amazing Spider-Man number 25. Uh, This run, so Spider-Man right now, if you're not following, it's building towards this issue number 26 that has been hailed as uh, the most monumental Spider-Man thing since Gwen Stacy died in 1973, which is obviously big talk. Um, the run itself has been, like, just frankly very stale for, I don't know, six months longer. You know, I'm willing to grant it, like, the first 10-ish issues, because there's some stuff in there I like, definitely. Um, but it's it's been very slow and sluggish. You know, I, I tweeted this thought earlier today, but it, it holds. Through 25 issues, there's no compelling argument to me. If there's really any difference here between the Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. run and the Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley run that came before. Um, I mean, Zeb Wells was coming off of Hellions, so my hopes were very high. And John Romita Jr. is 20 years out from their run with John Michael Straczynski, which was, or J. Michael Straczynski, which was much better work. It was 20 years ago. Um, they're past their prime. I think JRJR is still doing occasionally very good stuff. There's a panel from issue 24 that, or a page from issue 24 that is like Peter traveling through dimensions and it's real psychedelic and it's cool looking comics. Um, but I mean, come on, this creator's been around forever. Not a creator who's in their prime right now. Um, this runs very mid and it's disappointing. I, I said this before and I'll say it again. The most shocking thing that Spider-Man could do in this monumental issue is announce in a unique diverse creative team with a vision that we haven't seen before. That would be the thing that is genuinely shocking. You know, that most comics fans, their minds immediately go to, oh, will this character die? And oh, this character could die. And that's not shocking stuff. It's really not. Most of them have died before. Peter's died. Aunt May's died. I guess MJ hasn't. But like, that would be the most telegraphed possible choice. It's not interesting at all. Um, the one option I potentially like is like MJ takes over as Spider-Man, but Nightcrawler is already doing this. So anyway, this run does not have the juice. Sadly, I, I look forward to the days when Amazing Spider-Man is actually one of Marvel's best comics. Cause for me, that has not been true since 2013, uh, except it was called Superior Spider-Man. It was not called Amazing Spider-Man. Um, the last time I genuinely loved Amazing, I don't know. I, I have a lot of time for the brain trust days. You get those one-offs of Marcos Martin in there with Dan Slott and 
Mark Wade jumping in and Zeb Wells doing Shed and stuff like that. I, that are the brand new day era is interesting. I don't know if it's my favorite though. I'd have to, I'd have to explore that a little. Point being, it's been a minute. Been a minute. Somebody come save Spidey. You know who could save Spidey easier than anybody else? It's Al Ewing. Like, it's clearly Al Ewing. Now, the reason I'm hesitant to propose that is because that will decimate the ex-office. I don't think the ex-office can afford to lose Al. And I don't know that he could do both at the same time. I just don't know that any writer has that capacity. Like, you kind of need, I feel like you need your full faculties on Amazing to do it right. But I have no doubt how Ewing could do it right. I don't know that there's a lot of writers out there that I would just immediately be like, oh, yeah, they're going to get it. Marjorie Liu, maybe. Um, Matt Fraction would be an interesting choice. I don't know. It's a small club. It's a real small club. Uh, but I'd be here for it. Because <clears throat> this isn't it. This isn't the one. Speaking of not the one, I think we've got about two minutes left. Getting your questions, that transition didn't make any sense. Don't try and put it together. <laughs> don't, try, don't try and add those dots. Uh, all right, get your questions, get your thoughts, final thoughts here. We'll take a big old swig from our sponsor while you do so. This question here from Christopher. Is there any chance you could do a video about the Marauders book? I read it, loved it, but I didn't understand what happened in the end. Uh, my The answer is no, but my suggestion is check out Blurred Without Fear. I bet they cover Marauders, and I bet they do it well. Check that puppy out. Marco says, let Ewing write Spider-Man and explore the web of life and destiny. Yes. In. In. Banksy asks, why is Batman so much easier to write compelling stories for than Spider-Man? This is a much bigger question than I think a few seconds is going to suffice, but what I will say is brooding noir mystery Brooding noir detective mystery is much easier to write than friendly neighborhood drama. I think that's it. Let's see. Xavier asks, why do you think we need a Nightcrawler Spider-Man when we got Miles Morales and so many replacements? This is a really good question. This, this I'm very curious to see what the answer is, like why Nightcrawler thinks there is a need specifically for a Spider-Man. Like, does it, or is, or is he just doing that and all the other Spider-Men are going to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you stepping on our turf? That's an interesting question. Because, I mean, 26 could be, you know, a Spider-Man no more situation, right? Where Peter hangs up the duds. Again, seen it before. Um, like, like, it would be comical, but also kind of wild if the big monumental thing in 26 was like, yeah, Peter hands his costume to Kurt Wagner. <laughs> God, that'd be so awesome. Mind friendly Spider-Man. Let's do it. All right, what else we got? Uh, Hashim, Zeb Wells was the best writer at Marvel, and Spider-Man ate his reputation. Yeah, it did not. It has not, it has not gone well. It has not gone wells so far. Uh, da, da, da. Jordan says, in 2021, Duggan should have gotten Amazing, and Wells gotten X-Men. I don't love that for Spider-Man, but I do like that for X-Men. Let's see. K-Boy, thoughts on the Jean Grey announcement? Yeah, it was announced that there's going to be a Jean Grey mini uh, during the Fall of X. It's going to be written by X-Legend Louis Simonson. Edited Claremont for quite some time. Wrote X-Factor. Wrote New Mutants. Um, and in addition to a bunch of other comics. I, I was pretty tickled 
that Louis Simonson is going to get to play in Krakoa, however lightly, before Claremont, because Claremont has openly been campaigning <laughs> to do so. Um, that said, I'm I'm curious to check it out. I guess is my main thought. Like I don't. I, it definitely had the vibe of primarily being a chance for Simonson to do a flashback thing. And then maybe there will be some kind of framing sequences that set it in present day. You know, if it, I, I will be pleasantly surprised if she actually gets to write more of the present day Jean Grey stuff. Uh, either way, I really like using the legacy flashback stuff to connect to the present day, just even if it's just framing devices, as opposed to the X-Men Legends approach, where it was just like, and here's a continuity fill-in between issue 41 and 42 of the series that came out in 1986. Like, that's that to me is not nearly as fun. I think let these critters play in the sandbox. Um, I, I think that's that's definitely going to be more interesting. Let's see. Any final questions? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> James asks, how many omnibuses will it take to cover the entire Percy story when it finally ends? I mean, you're going to have to buy some real estate. You're going to need some land, and you're going to need to build a lot of bookshelves. And I would get them of the most average quality you can find, and then they will be of a piece with those omnis. Let's see. All right. All right. Yeah, Chris asks, will Phoenix be back ever? I mean, I think the flashbacks are going to play with some Phoenix stuff. So I feel like that's best case scenario, is if Louis Simonson gets to do some Phoenix flashback stuff, and then it also builds to a potential Gene Phoenix reunion kind of thing because that would obviously be a big deal in this era of X-Men. All right. Thank you all for joining. Appreciate you being here. I'll be back next time. The comics are good. Again, I think during this interim here where we're like in between the Hellfire Gala and the Fall of X kicking off, I feel like every week is a bit of a tall tall ask to keep, to, you know, if there's really going to be that much to talk about. Let's see, next week we got X-Men 22, X-Force number 40, um... Yeah, you know, like that's that's not a heck of a lot on the recent comic side. We might be on a two-week cadence here on the old CBH stream. And I feel like the best thing I can do is to just leave it mysterious. <laughs> I'll announce it on Twitter, and I'll be here. Bye. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>